Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card... Right this way. It's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You know our trusted partner, TireRack.com, for their fast, free shipping, free road hazard protection, convenient installation options, and their great selection of best tires, like the highly consumer-rated Kumo Majesty 9 Solus TA91. But did you know they sell other automotive products? Wheels, brakes, suspension, just to name a few. Go to TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. The Thread is a new hit podcast from Ozzy Media that explores history's surprising connections in order to discover how one thing leads to another. Like how movie moguls in early Hollywood helped spark the Me Too movement today. Get it on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen. What's going on, everybody? John Middlecoff on the Three and Out podcast, brought to you live, kinda not really because it's recorded. It's a podcast by the Colin Coward Podcast Network. Holiday week, happy birthday, America! Greatest country in the history of the world. We've been going strong since uh, 1776. Keep on swinging, baby. Some of you are on vacation. This, I'm recording this on Thursday. Some of you went back to work for a couple days. Kind of a weird week whenever you have 4th of July on a Wednesday. But, you know, what are you going to do? You take a holiday wherever you can get it. Uh, you know, there wasn't much going on. This is mainly going to be a mailbag podcast. Uh, I'm going to get to all your questions. Like always, you can find us wherever podcasts are found. If you go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and in the review section, leave a question. And I will always get to them on the middle cough mailbag section of the podcast. We always do it every podcast, bang out a bunch of your questions, and we'll do it again this week. But I wanted to start here. You know, I've only worked in a couple professional settings in terms of where there was an office in the NFL and then in the radio business. And I found in both places, you know, there weren't many people, you know, that were quote-unquote, decision-makers, powerful positions that, that I that I respected to the highest degree. That I, I just thought, no matter where that guy went, I would follow that guy. Uh, and I think a lot of you, you know, especially when you're young, 
you just kind of go wherever the opportunity comes, wherever the money is. There are only so many people in every profession that really everyone in that profession would line up to work with, even the best in their business. You know, like you read about Steve Jobs, the dude was a nut, you know? Most people that were around him, and he's like one of the greatest, you know, people in the tech sector in the history of America, Google Steve Jobs. I mean, he was crazy. But even Belichick or Parcells, we're talking sports, these guys are crazy. You wouldn't want, I mean, you would work for them, but if you could choose, you'd probably rather work for someone else if all things were equal. And I mean, I've known multiple people that have worked for Nick Saban. It is not fun. Now, it looks incredible on your resume and you're going to win, but every day is an absolute grind. And I'm not just talking about the football season. I'm talking about the off season. I'm talking the summer. Same thing with Belichick. You better, I mean, it is tough. Hell, Bruce Bochy, who the manager of the San Francisco Giants, great guy, fantastic. I remember interviewing him in spring training, like probably seven, eight years ago. And maybe it was less than that, maybe five or six. And there was a coaches meeting. And I remember him at the time as third base coach. He was breaking in a new third base coach, and he was kind of lighting into him you know, kind of teaching him the ins and outs of what he expected. And you could just see like, God, this would not be easy to work for Bruce. Ultimately, where I'm going with this is Twitter and social media has been up in arms this week because the Golden State Warriors signed another uh, all-star. And it really got me to thinking that it put into perspective a little bit about Steph Curry, who everyone in the NBA now lines up to play with. And Steve Kerr, the head coach of the Golden State Warriors, once famously compared him to Tim Duncan, who I would argue is the second greatest teammate in the history of the modern era of what I call my generation, the millennials' generations of sports, the internet age, post-2000 on. Uh, Tim Duncan was the standard for teammates beside Tom Brady. And I think what the Warriors are doing, and they are on an incredible like four or five year run of people just lining up wanting to play with them. Five years ago, Andre Iguodala did it. Took less to come because he kind of, he saw the big picture. Like, I want to be a part of what those guys are doing. Kevin Durant did it a couple years ago. Now Boogie Cousins did it earlier this week. Tom Brady's been doing this for 10 plus years. Guys constantly, and people say Brady and Belichick, And I'm not trying to exclude Belichick from this conversation. As I've said on this podcast, if I had to choose one in 2018 moving forward, I wouldn't even hesitate. I would choose Belichick. I would bet against the guy 41 years old. But Tom Brady's legacy, in my opinion, beside the Super Bowls and the greatest quarterback ever, is the greatest teammate ever. People want to be around the guy. Can you ever recall one time a player, offense or defense, taking a shot on him, at him on their way out. And let's face it, everyone with the New England Patriots is a snap, a season, a contract away from being on their way out. Because people don't retire Patriots, beside Brady and maybe Belichick. You know, they get rid of everyone. And people for a long, long, players for a, you know, really since 07 when it became Tom Brady's team, have lined up to do exactly what Boogie Cousins did. 
guys that had common sense, guys that could see the big picture, that went two things. I know I'm going to win. I know I'm going to learn a lot. And I want to be around that guy. I want to be around Tom. When I got fired from Philadelphia the next year, it might have been two years later, the Eagles joint practice with the New England Patriots. And I saw a lot of buddies on the staff, and I, I just kept asking them, like, what was it like to see Tom Brady practice? And every one of them said it was just incredible. It was like he ran the practice. It was like he was telling every single person where to be in the entire level. First off, he put on a clinic. But the entire level and standard that everyone around him followed was so incredibly high that it was impossible for this Chip Kelly regime to even begin to keep up with it. And I I think that's the level, for example, of why the Warriors are getting all these people. The word's out. The, The People want to be around Steph Curry. The standard in which he sets, the way he goes about his business, how dominant he is, and he's a champion now three times over, well, soon to be four this year. People, when you're a great teammate and you bring all that stuff to the table, it is always worth, especially when you're a younger player, to take a little less money and play with a guy, to learn from a guy, to get some knowledge in your back pocket. It'd be like if you had the opportunity in whatever business you did to work with the very best in your industry. And it turned out the guy's an incredible person. You're like, this is unreal. You know, I had Andy Reid on a couple months ago. He's one of the best coaches of the last 20 years in the NFL. And my big takeaway after working from him is like, man, Andy's just an incredible human being. Of all the people that I look back that like if I could have got into the NFL, you know, I listen, obviously you choose Belichick. I don't know personally if I could have lasted. I, I might have tapped out. You know, I don't know if I could have got on that treadmill and just grinded to that level. And that's not saying Andy's an absolute grinder. But the thing I cherish the most of my NFL experience is how great of a person Andy is. And every person to a man has said the same thing about Tom Brady whenever they leave him. And I, I, I live in the Bay Area now and I see it with Steph Curry and the Warriors. It's the greatest point of difference that the New England Patriots have had over their run. For as great of a coach as Bill Belichick is, and I think he's the greatest coach in the history of sport, in the history of sport, I would take Belichick over them all. The Phil Jacksons, the Red Arbachs, the Joe Torres, you name it. John Wooden, who was sneaky cheating his ass off back in the day. Coach K, Saban, whoever. I'd I'd take Bill. The point of difference the Patriots have is now what the Warriors have. It's they have their best player, who was arguably the best player. The difference is Steph and Tom is Tom's the greatest quarterback ever. And his point of difference is people want to be around that. Young guys, old guys, you name it. They sign up for that. They take a little less for that. That's why they've been kicking the shit out of the NFL now going on since 2001. Really, they've owned the NFL since 2007. All the AFC Championship appearances, all the Super Bowl appearances, it, in a league of parity, there hasn't been parity. And, and it's really because of Tom Brady. Okay, let, let's get into the Middlecoff bail bag. Uh, it's going to be a little shorter podcast. You know, it's holiday weekend. Let, let, let you get to your boat, get to your family, whatever you're doing. So let's dive right in. Got a bunch of questions, a little behind. And we'll start off with, a good one, actually. 
from uh, from Hamblin. I've heard you mention a couple times that you are not allowed or welcomed at the Raiders facility. Why is that? And, and I realize some of you, you know, haven't been following me that long or didn't know who I was until I started this podcast. I did a local radio show for a long time in the Bay Area. And the Bay Area is a pretty polarizing place when it comes to teams. The two most important teams, obviously there's the Warriors, but there's not another basketball team. So everyone just galvanizes around the one team wherever you live in the Bay Area. The other four teams, there's the Giants and the A's, the 49ers, and the Raiders. Now with the Giants and the A's, it's like 95 to 5 in terms of population, in terms of uh, the way it's covered. It's not really a fair fight. Now, with football, it's a little different. Uh, the 49ers are the clear alpha dog in this area, obviously. I mean, the Raiders have moved multiple times and are moving again. But just population, fans-wise, percentage of fans. So the 49ers are just talked about more. Even though on the station that I worked for, we were, quote-unquote, the flagship of the Raiders, I-, I still talked a lot of 49ers. It's part of the whole point of a radio show is to get ratings, blah, blah, blah. The point, the ultimate point is though, that when I talked about the Raiders and I used to host their, their post game show, they were terrible. They were an embarrassment. And I used to go in pretty heavily on them. I I mean, everything they were doing was a joke. Uh, And the biggest point of contention, their president, Mark Bedane, can't stand me. He wanted me to be a shill for their organization. And as you guys have heard, if I took the wrong tactic on this, you know, I think that I would have looked inward and realized that I was wrong. But as you guys, anyone that's listening to this podcast, my relationships around the league are fantastic. I know a lot of people. They like me. I get along with just about everyone I come in contact with. For whatever reason, me and the president of the team, I actually got along. People think that I hate Mark Davis, the owner of the Raiders. In my dealings with them, I was we always got along very well. Easy conversations. I never had a problem with them. Now, did I think he was fit to own the Raiders in terms of they don't have the money? Uh, they ultimately had to leave the greatest economic, uh, you know, seven eight year stretch in the history of America. They couldn't cut it in the Bay Area with a major brand. Everyone with a major brand. John Middlecoff, you're listening to right now has found a way to make it, you know, on his own with no brand. It started from nothing. They're in the NFL. They couldn't cut it. Now, in fairness, Oakland is a joke. The politicians around here are a joke. But it's been proven that, like, Jed York and his crew of just high-level money guys gets it done. Joe Lacob, boom, just gets it done. So I'm not a big excuse guy. They couldn't cut it in this area. And I blasted them for it. And I refused to support the Las Vegas move. And that pissed them off. Uh, They hated that. And I I still crush it to this day. Not necessarily. I get they got free money. They got basically the equivalent of a welfare check. San Diego did the same thing. They couldn't build a stadium on their own. They they basically, uh, you know, leaked and and held on uh, to to Stan Kroenke. The Dean Spanos has much more money than Mark Davis, but couldn't afford to build a stadium on his own. He needed someone else to hold on to, and he found one. Mark needed a free handout, and he got one. But I, I, I locally, and on this one, I, I, I have a lot of friends, uh, family friends that are diehard Raider fans, and, and I felt for them. Uh, they got screwed by the owners. 
they got screwed by the, you know the president who openly or ac- actually un- the opposite of being open never said a word and was going behind their back trying to move and I just felt bad for them. They're a nomadic franchise that has now moved three times in 30 years. It's who they are. I, why wouldn't they move again in 30 years? And, I, I, and I've still blasted them to this day because I just feel bad for the people that have stayed very loyal around this area. And again, it's been proven over and over. There, there is so much. There, there's never been more money around this area. It's why the Warriors are thriving. It's why Jed York is printing cash. It's why Larry Bear with the Giants it has more money than he knows what to do with. And, and they couldn't get it done. And to, on that, I don't respect it. And I, I don't necessarily have a personal problem with the president of the Oakland Raiders. He has a personal problem with me. And I, I think Colin Coward said this at his old place, talked about the one organization in all of his time of ripping all these organizations in all different sports that ever reached out and were pissed off at him were the Raiders. It's who they are to their core. They're very, very petty. Uh, it's kind of minor league with that type stuff. They don't let things go. And that, that's I'm the opposite. I'll blast you and I'll forget about it the next day. I do not care. I'm not emotional about this stuff. And with the Raiders, most of their employees uh, you know, have been there so long, started basically in the mailroom. They're very, very emotional. There's just too much emotion involved when it comes to talking about their product. And so they don't like me. And that's fine. Uh, you know, if it was Jerry Jones that didn't like me or Joe Lacob that didn't like me, I would probably have to look in the mirror and reevaluate. But it's the Raiders. So ultimately, I love their quarterback. I love their football team. I think John Gruden was a good hire. It doesn't have anything to do with football. It has to do with their front office on the business side. And so ultimately, I don't really give a shit. Uh, I'm never going to back up from my feelings, my true feelings, and supporting the people that I know that they that they hurt, you know, because it's it's kind of BS the way it was all handled. And at the end of the day, should Mark Davis and Mark Bedane be running an NFL franchise? You know, probably not. Now, ultimately, you're born into a family. You you get, you know, it's not like he bought the franchise. They couldn't begin to, you know, own a franchise. If It just, it is what it is. I mean, I'm not, you know, there are several owners around the NFL that probably, you know, hold it down. Here's the other thing with the NFL. The, the money boom, the economic boom has come post-internet the last 20 years. It's how guys like uh, in Cincinnati, uh, I'm trying to think of it, the Brown family. is The, the Spanoses have actually won a little bit over that time, but they, they did nothing for the TV ratings. The TV ratings are the reason that all these teams are getting an enormous amount of money. The Raiders didn't make that much money in the 2000s. They lived off the league revenue-sharing check. Well, the Raiders didn't do that much to help that revenue sharing check with the TV, you know, the rights fees going up exponential growth in the last 15 years because they were so terrible. It was the Cowboys that carried the league. It was the Patriots that carried the league. It was Peyton Manning that carried the league. It was the Packers that carried the league, the NFC East. The Raiders really didn't do anything. They've had one decent season in 15 years. So they've piggybacked off, you know, the league and it's the only reason they've been able to survive under the Davis family. Because the Davis family doesn't have any money. 
And they still don't really. They get all their money from the league. And the comments like that make everyone in the Raiders organization very uncomfortable. And that's okay. Again, I hang my hat on just being real. I'm not, you know, I don't chill for anyone. I rip on people that I know. And if it's warranted, you know, there's nothing personal about any of this. Uh, You know, I I might go to Raiders training camp if they'll let me in. I doubt they will. And at the end of the day, I, I don't really care. Uh, it's more of a reflection on them than it is me. Uh, and back to what I said about the team. I, I think I, I root for the team to do well. I've known Derek since he was in high school. Uh, I think Khalil Mack's the best defensive player in the league. And I think John Gruden is just a fascinating coach. And I also have some friends on the coaching staff. I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of the football operation. Business-wise, we butt heads. Okay, next question. Berto C. My question is regarding the Browns. Do you think their lack of success has been due to ownership being unable to create a competent staff to draft and build a team? Or do you think it's because of the success of the two teams in their division that has caused a lot of turnover with the GM? Uh, I think it always starts at the top. Uh, You can't necessarily point the finger at things that are out of your control. Like, who cares that the Pittsburgh Steelers are in their division or the Baltimore Ravens are in their division? That doesn't give you an excuse to win one game in two years. Uh, To me, it's their ownership. Uh, The Lerner family, I get before Jimmy Haslam. Jimmy Haslam for this guy that has more money than God with Flying J, whether they're doing it legally or illegally, we'll probably never know is just a is a roller coaster ride clearly of a personality of trusting people of not knowing what to do as an owner. I also think there's just a stigma with the Cleveland Browns that you go there to lose and until you shake that I I, I don't think you it's like a it's like a stink on you. you you can't get it to go away and there is I I follow Baker Mayfield on Instagram. And obviously Twitter and social media. And he seems like a happy-go-lucky guy. I think he's a good player. I don't even think he grasps the pressure that once training camp starts that's going to be on the kid. Really, not just this year, but for the next several years. Taking a quarterback number one overall. Feels like John Dorsey's going to be there for the long haul. But, I mean, Jimmy Haslam's resume speaks for itself. I also think that Hugh Jackson, there's going to be turnover with the coaching in in the near future. I don't know. I think it's just going to be really hard. It's just, it's kind of the broken window theory. Once you see some trash on the ground or a broken window, it just kind of, you know, snowballs on itself. And it kind of feels like with that, with the Cleveland Browns, like, oh, one win turns into two, and all of a sudden you have a 13 loss season. And it's almost expected. It's like people thrive there in misery and losing. Now, can, can Baker be that polarizing guy that, ultimately changes the the culture with Dorsey and all these new players maybe but it, it's been my, it feels like my entire life that they've been terrible I mean they fired Bill Belichick say that out loud they fired Bill Belichick think about that like think how crazy that is now in 2018 when you say that out loud the Cleveland Browns had Bill Belichick and fired him uh so I I Haslam's part of the problem, but but I think it's just an organizational stink, and it's it's really hard to shake that. And it usually takes, you know, someone historic to to shake it. 
And in it, look at New England. For a long time, they were kind of a laughing stock, and Belichick and Brady showed up. But it took Belichick and Brady to to overcome everything, and Robert Kraft, and Robert Kraft. So has Jimmy Haslam showed that he can just be Robert Kraft? Because it's the, the percentage chance that you ever hire a Bill Belichick or draft Tom Brady or slim the nut. But can you just get a, if you just get a competent owner, you'll have a chance. Is Jimmy Haslam? He's clearly a competent businessman in person, but is he a competent NFL owner? And I, right now, I, I would say no. So I, I don't think much is going to change in the in the near future. Okay, let's get to Matt. My question is, how do you see the NFL's rule change this offseason regarding contact with the head impacting this upcoming season? I think he's talking about running backs lowering their head and hitting the... Uh, the oh, oh I think you mean when guys are getting uh, thrown out of the game. Do you see this latest change in the rules in the past few years as the beginning of the end of tackle football? Okay, you're talking defensive football. Leading with the head, like targeting in college, will get you tossed out of out of games. I, I I'm really. It shows you how serious the owners are taking CTE and, and the violence of football. And how scared they are with all the litigation and paying money. Just they want to separate themselves from this. Because as an if I owned it, I put myself in the owner's shoes when I when they were gonna vote on this. And I thought, well, if I had Ed Reed or you know whoever, Reuben Foster, any sweet defensive, Luke Keekley, why would I ever vote to have the possibility of that guy getting thrown out of a game? I didn't think it had a chance to pass that the targeting rule guys would get tossed. And ultimately, they passed it. And I think at the end of the day, the one thing that's been consistent with NFL owners is money comes first. And it all revolves around money. And this is a big picture money thing that I I think they kind of see, and we all do, that at one day, that could football just be gone? And I think we're clearly a long way away from that. But it's definitely a conversation. Tackle football. The, The only thing I would say is there is a softness to America that's come in just recently. I'm not even talking about football. There is something deep inside of all of us that since the beginning of time that we yearn for violence, that we like violence. The highest rated playoff game, I think of the last non-Super Bowl of like the last 15 years was Seattle-San Francisco. Uh, Jim Harbaugh second to last year. It was one of the most violent football games we've ever seen. We love it. I mean, I, I people, Twitter will tell you, the PC culture will tell you how much they hate it. Whenever there was a fight in junior high, every kid runs to and circles around the fight. It's just, it's a human instinct. Now, I think when you factor in business and, and CTE, there's, there's a big business right now in taking shots at the NFL, right? And trying to bring the NFL down. So I, I think there's a balancing act, tackle football, I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, again, I, we like physical, anything that has to do with a physical element to it, we enjoy. It's why, I mean, I bought the fight stupidly. This guy's not necessarily a physical fighter, but just a big boxing match, still pay-per-view, dwarfs UFC. Now, Floyd, you know, doesn't really hit anyone. He dances around. But when Floyd fought Connor, we all lined up, and it did historic television numbers. They, they charged $100 a pay-per-view. I didn't flinch to buy it. A lot of people didn't. Now, I knew what I was getting into, but it, 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 
it speaks to who we are to our core and what we like. <laughs> we like violence. So I I don't think this is the beginning of the end. I, I just think that the NFL game is adapting, and, and I think it's it probably is a lot closer to in the next 20 years does the NFL look closer to Big 12 football you know, than it does to that Seattle-San Francisco game of four or five years ago in the NFC Championship. Yeah, pr- probably, uh, because I think less teams are going to mess with physical safeties. That Their value is clearly not as high as it once was. The Jim Harbaugh team, I think his first year, his two safeties were uh, Golston and Whitner. <laughs> I mean, they, they both hung their hat on basically breaking you in half. You wouldn't want, I mean, that, that would be a terrible safety duel now. You need cover safeties. You need the honey badger. You know, you need guys like that. M- Malcolm Jenkins, guys that are versatile. You don't need big hitters because big hitters now will get tossed out of games. I, I just think the game's adapting. I, I think there is a segment of people that want football to go away. I think the NFL owners are just very scared about that fact and are, are just trying to adapt. And I, I think we're just probably one day going to see Big 12 football basically in the NFL. Let's get to draft dissection question. Do teams do any sort of autopsies and dissect their previous drafts? For instance, if a franchise passed on a prospect only to see him become a perennial pro bowler, do they go back and conduct an analysis to determine how to better parse the quote-unquote not-so-obvious talent from the rest of the pack? Pretty good question. And if they do, are there metrics, if any, do they usually collect? I, I think a lot of teams go back and self-evaluate how their scouts are grading players. To me, the hard part, like in the, let's say the NBA draft, if you pass on a talent, most teams, this they're scheming basketball for sure, but a freak talent's going to be a freak talent wherever he plays. In, in football, if Richard Sherman hadn't played in Seattle, Let's say he was a fifth-round pick and you know went on to a bunch of Pro Bowls and All-Pro level player for a while. If he had played in a scheme that wasn't bump and run, being physical at the line, but ask him to play off coverage a lot, would he have been as successful? And the answer is no. You know, now Odo Beckham, for example, wherever he would have played, or Khalil Mack, it, it, he would have succeeded. But there are certain fits at certain positions, like offensive linemen are better in zone scheme than they are power scheme and vice versa. A quarterback, for the most part, is going to be a good quarterback. You know, that, see, I you could argue, depending on the coach, there are so many variables in football that it's hard to judge if you just crush a guy and then he becomes a pro bowler and you just thought he couldn't play dead in a Western regardless who he was going to play for. Yeah, that that's an easy one to kind of evaluate. But if you gave a guy a fifth-round grade, or let's say this, you gave a guy an undraftable grade, you thought he was a free agent, he gets drafted in the sixth round, and then he goes on and becomes a player, did you miss on that player, or did the rest of the league basically agree with you because he was drafted in the sixth round? I, I, I think it's really, really hard. Uh, there's so many variables in football, you know, because if you give a guy a fifth-round grade, and he gets drafted in the fifth round, and you didn't take him, and then the guy becomes a really good player, 
you know, let's use, again, Richard Sherman for that. If you thought he should be drafted around the fifth and he would be, you know, a fringe starter, and then he becomes to be Richard Sherman, were you really wrong? Because Seattle agreed with you where they took him. I, I think it's difficult. Uh, you know, I, I know in Philly, we we look back. Uh, I, I don't know for a fact. I would imagine every team does something. Uh, but it's so scheme-dependent. You know, it's it's tough because I, I don't know if there's a right or wrong. Every individual player, depending on where he goes, who's to know if he would have as much success as he did? I mean, it looked like Jared Goff was going to be the worst player in NFL history. And then he gets a new coach, and he's saved, right? You know, I mean, Derek Carr's had moments where he looked great, where he's the MVP, then he looked terrible, and now we'll see him with Gruden. I, so much is determined by who's coaching you. Now, again, there's certain players that just would have been superstars no matter what. And a lot of times, those guys are first-round picks. Back to my example of Khalil Mack. Like, whoever he played for, he would have been great. Uh, Odell's another great example. He, he would have been really good. I, I think one that you're going to see talked about now, and I think you've seen it a little on social media, is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Jameis Winston when they could have taken Marcus Mariota. J- Jameis Winston has not had a very good playing career on the field. And Marcus Mariota's been a little up and down too, but based on what you have to deal with off the field, to me, looking back, that was a no-brainer. And that move might end up getting Tampa Bay and the entire front office fired. So I think you do more things like that when you were on the fence between two players and you go back and look than necessarily an entire draft. Tony B. in Alabama. You recently tweeted you think Adrian Martinez and Scott Frost could potentially do some special things at Nebraska. What led you to that thought? Well, I was doing an article for The Athletic, which I write for on the side, about the best offensive coordinator, quarterback combinations, you know, the young guys, like Kyle Shanahan and Garoppolo, Lincoln Riley with Kyler Murray, stuff like that. And I just started thinking, who in college is a really young offensive mind? And Scott Frost, you know, he's, I think, 43 years old. I went, who's going to be his quarterback? Because everywhere he's been... At Oregon, his you know Mariota kicked ass. Then going to UCF, his quarterback just statistically threw like 35, 35 touchdowns last year and nine picks was unreal. Uh, who's going to be his quarterback in Nebraska? And I saw that they signed this guy who was an early enrollee, Adrian Martinez. And I just started watching some of his YouTube clips and reading about him and realized this guy could have gone to a lot of places in the country. And then just watching some of his high school tape, and I worked in high school recruiting, so I got a decent idea of how it projects. I went, this guy has some Marcus Mariota attributes. Well, I've seen what Scott Frost did with Marcus Mariota. That is a fantastic combination. And then I started reading, like, this was a really, really hype recruit when they landed him at Nebraska. So my first thought was, this has a, now he hasn't even named this kid the starter yet. And then you watch the spring game, and he was flying around. To me, the sky's the limit. Scott's resume of coaching quarterback speaks for itself. Now, you never know with an 18-year-old kid. It's, it's, it's closer to basketball, and you see it all these time with these prospects. You never know how a guy's going to fit or not fit. It's kind of a, a guessing game. So it's, it's a big projection. Uh, I just bet on the coach that they just gave basically $30 million to, and a guy who's you know, film and all these colleges were lined up to sign and I bet on it. And I, I, he might not even start this year, but I I would be shocked if we don't hear from uh, Martinez and Frost before it's all said and done. 
Uh, let's get to Teddy Fitz. My question is, why hasn't Dave Tobe gotten a chance as a head coach yet? John Harbaugh had success as a coach, and he was a former special teams coordinator. Tobe gets rave reviews from players and is often called a great leader. And now with his ties to Andy Reid, what else does he have to do? Good question from Brian. I think a lot of it is people are just naturally afraid to go outside the box. And when the Ravens did hire John Harbaugh, it was a pretty outside-the-box hire. When they hired John Harbaugh, it was before Jim Harbaugh was even really that big of a deal. Like, it was the first big, big Harbaugh hire. Now we talk about John Harbaugh, and of course you'd hire John Harbaugh. I mean, John Harbaugh was a assistant DB coach, special teams coordinator. Now, looking back, it was an easy hire. He was also hired by a guy that was very secure in his job in Ozzie Newsome. I think it would take a very secure general manager, and there aren't that many of them around the NFL. Let's just say, for example, Minnesota in a couple years. You know, Mike Zimmer, remember he was having those problems with his eyes. He had to retire. You know, health concerns. I'm just using this as a hypothetical. I hope Mike Zimmer doesn't retire. He's a badass. That a guy like Spielman could go, okay, I'd hire uh, Dave Tobe because as a leader. I I could see... John Schneider in Seattle, if Pete Carroll retired, as secure enough to make a move like that. We got Russell Wilson. I just need a great leader, and then we'll get good offensive and defensive coaches around him. When you look, there aren't that many secure coaches. There's also a huge movement because of the importance of the quarterback to hire offensive-oriented head coaches. It's why John D. Filippo. And I'm just thinking of Matt LaFleur. Some These are the names that you're going to hear interview this fall, you know, at the end of the season. Because coaches all want the next Kyle Shanahan, McVay, Lincoln Riley, Scott Frost. You're going to see Scott Frost and Lincoln Riley interview. That, that's who owners want. And at the end of the day, the GM can have a lot of pull, but the owners are signing the check. I, I think it's going to be very difficult every year that passes with the, the rules of the game and the importance of offensive play and how much the rules are oriented toward an offensive guy, that I, I don't know if Dave Tobe's ever going to get a shot, as sad as that may be. And people I know that have been around him swear by him, think he's an unreal football coach. I mean, his resume with Chicago and now Kansas City speaks for itself. But it's hard. You know, sometimes as you get older, uh, you know, things and narratives in a game or any industry kind of go against you. And he may just have to settle for being, you know, a million-dollar special team coach, which is not the worst job in the world. But, you know, I, I would imagine he wanted a shot, and he'll, he'll probably never get it. I remember the NFL being upset with Andrew Luck for not demanding a fully guaranteed deal. New question uh, from uh, I Hate Colby is his uh, username. Kirk Cousins actually gets one due to very specific circumstances. Do you think more players will get fully guaranteed deals in the future? Or will Kirk Cousins' situation be a uh, one-and-done, basically? I would lean that more likely to be a one-and-done, unique outlier than a consistent thing we'll see. The NFL, unlike baseball and basketball, injuries are so prevalent. Now, with quarterbacks, maybe you'll get some more fully guaranteed deals, but I also think the problem for a lot of these quarterbacks, like Aaron Rodgers, for example, or... You know, if Drew Brees had been a little younger, you know, the, t- the top, top guys, is that they always get extended while they still have a year or two on their contract. Russell Wilson, 
So they don't have as much leverage as Kirk Cousins did by hitting the open market. If Aaron Rodgers ever were to hit the open market, easily he'd get a fully guaranteed deal. Russell Wilson, no-brainer. Derek Carr, Carson Wentz, Marcus Mariota, all, all, you know, even a lot of these young guys haven't proven that much. But they, they never will. And if they ever do, that means they get cut. And that means they're not playing as well. So they don't have the leverage. I would never, like Khalil Mack and Aaron Donald are Hall of Fame level players. That if they stay healthy the next three or four years, I think both of them are a lock to be in the Hall of Fame. That's how good they are. I would not give them a fully guaranteed deal. It's just not a good business proposition. It's too risky. I mean, either one of them get hurt. As we saw with J.J. Watt, he just fell off a cliff just because of the physical nature of the position. I mean, a couple years ago, it looked like the Honey Badger was headed to the Hall of Fame. Boom. A couple injuries later, he gets cut. You know? Now, we'll see how good he is in Houston, but things change so fast in football due to injuries that it's just not good business to sign players to fully guaranteed contracts. So, I'd be shocked if that ever happens. Uh, I, I, I don't imagine it does in the near future. Now, things can always change. You know, you never know. They have a new CBA and three or four years, but I, I would bet against it. And I would say Kirk Cousins contract much more of an outlier than it is something that's going to start happening more and more and be more prevalent throughout the league for sure. Okay. Again, the middle cough mailbag, leave your questions. You just go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and in the review section, leave a question. I will get to it. Uh, moving forward. I, I need some of them slow time right now. And listen, you can find this wherever you listen to your podcast. I'm there, 3 and Out Podcast with John Middlecoff. I appreciate everyone listening. Again, happy 4th of July. Happy birthday, America. And I will see you next week right here on the Colin Coward Podcast Network. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, You can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash credit card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card. Right this way. It's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. 
And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.